0: Welcome to Where You Are, I'm Michelle Horn. Back to School is just around the corner for many BC families, and many parents, children, and youth are understandably stressed and anxious this year due to COVID-19. We recently held a webinar with some great back to school tips for parents, and we thought our podcast listeners would like to hear it as well. The presenters, Dr. Rosalind Catchpole and Dr. Sarah Anderson, go over strategies you can start using now to set your family up for a successful return to school this year. They also gave us lots of tips for what to do if your child is anxious about returning to school or even refuses to go to school. Dr. Rosalind Catchpole is a registered psychologist and head of the Mood and Anxiety Disorders Clinic at BC Children's Hospital. She is actively involved in treatment, teaching, and research on anxiety disorders, and has a particular interest in parent-led treatment approaches, including those for school refusal. She is a clinical instructor in the Department of Psychiatry at UBC and a director of Cornerstone Child and Family Psychology Clinic. Dr. Sarah Anderson received her PhD in child clinical psychology at Simon Fraser University. She currently works as a postdoctoral fellow in the Mood and Anxiety Disorders Clinic and Gender Clinic at BC Children's Hospital, as well as the Department of Psychiatry at UBC. Dr. Anderson has a particular interest in supporting youth who are avoiding school. She also works as a psychology associate at Cornerstone Child and Family Psychology Clinic. If you'd like to watch the webinar or access the slides, visit keltiumntilhealth.ca or click on the link in the show notes. And now, without further ado, please enjoy our webinar.
1: We're so glad that you could join us today for this really important topic about getting our kids back to school. Um, So in terms of what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the implications of the pandemic. We're going to give you a really practical decision-making framework to go through to look at decisions around whether to go back to school and how to do that successfully. We're going to give you some tips for managing your own anxiety in these really challenging times and some concrete steps to support your child's return to school. And finally, we'll touch on what to do if your child just refuses to go and these truly are unprecedented times and one of my favorite little quotes was i really really miss precedented times i don't think any of us really quite imagined in having children that this would be one of the things that we're facing but here we are so in terms of the pandemic and its impact on all of us i just wanted to make a few points that i think are relevant as we're thinking about the september back to school start So first of all, these really are uniquely challenging times. Even my grandparents, who apparently walked to school 20 miles a day in the snow, uphill both ways, I don't think had to think about these kinds of decisions. Um, On top of that, our lives and routines have really been turned upside down in the last six months. And perhaps most importantly, from an anxiety point of view, we've been practicing avoiding things a lot over the last six months. And what we know is that when we avoid things, our fear reactions tend to increase. So if I ask you after this talk to go for a walk, and I give you only one simple instruction, I say, as you're walking, just avoid any red cars that you see along the way. Maybe cross the street or just try to give them as wide a berth as you can. Even if I give you no other reason for avoiding red cars, at the end of that hour, you're going to show a measurable fear response to red cars. So when we stay away from things, it can kind of give us the message that they're not safe. Another anecdote I'll share is one of the first times I went to visit some friends and in, in socially distanced after the pandemic had started, um, you know, and I was mindful of staying six feet away. And then what I noticed is when my husband came close, I jumped a little bit because I'd been practicing staying away from people so much that it surprised me when someone got close. And that's going to come up a little bit later in this talk. In terms of the impact uh, on school, particularly, first of all, let's just say up front, of course, that safety is at the forefront of everyone's minds right now. So for us as parents, for a lot of our children, and of course, for teachers. Another piece is that many children and teens, I believe I heard on the news, it was actually two thirds in the province have been away from school for almost six months. So it's been a while. They're a little out of practice. Um, to add to that, educators are navigating these changes alongside families. I think one teacher said, we're trying to build the plane as we're flying it. So it's, it's a lot for everybody. Um, as parents, we've often been balancing work, childcare, remote schooling. Um, you know, our own routines are thrown off. And finally, school is going to look different in September. So while it's normal for kids to be nervous, you know, at every September return, we know there's a little bit of an added layer here where schools are going to look different. And so the sum total of all these things is that everyone is a little extra stressed out and probably needs a little bit of extra support in this time. So how are we doing as parents? Well, one result of these challenging and uncertain times can sometimes be a bit of a sense of paralysis as a parent. We put a little picture of a deer in the headlights there. We can get kind of stuck in worrying and ruminating and and it can be hard to know what to do. How do we move forward? And perhaps most importantly of all, how do we help our kids? And so what we're gonna talk about in this webinar is a framework for successful school return. And the reason we put it in a five-step plan is because the order of these things really matter. If you haven't yet made an informed decision about whether to send your kids back to in-person school, it's not the time to be practicing the routines. So we first wanna make a decision and really live that decision and practice it, and then communicate confidence to our kids, practice the routines with them, And finally, not give up if our kids push back.
2: So step one in this framework for successful school return is to make an informed decision about whether or not to send your school, your child back to school in person. So first, we suggest taking stock of what information you already have from your child's school or their school district. Next, if you're concerned that your child or yourself has a health condition that may put you at higher risk due to the virus, speak with your doctor or your child's doctor or specialist to get a little bit more information. And as part of making an informed decision, weigh the pros and cons of different school options. So we know that most kids do better when they have structure and social connection that's provided at school. And kids that have more of a sensitive temperament often need some practice being brave or being out in the world. However, there is no right answer um, and decisions about this school year more than any year before are really based on individual family differences and preferences. So what options are sustainable for you as a parent keeping in mind that we don't really know how long the pandemic is going to last. Um, Does your child have different learning needs or abilities that you need to take into consideration? How did remote schooling go for your child in the spring Um, and if they returned to school in person in June how did that go? How will this decision impact other members of your household or family such as grandparents or other dependents? And then finally, once you've collected all of that information and made an informed decision, remember that that decision does not need to be set in stone. So we know that public health and school board recommendations may change over the coming weeks or months and Different information may be available and different options may be offered or may even be mandatory at that time. So the next step is really living in your decision by practicing it and sticking with it. So I remember the first time I visited the grocery store during the pandemic back in March. It felt really scary, very unfamiliar And there was a lot of uncertainty about what I should and shouldn't be doing to keep myself safe while I was there. But now thinking, you know, maybe the 20th time visiting the grocery store since then, I have a better sense of what to expect and I feel more confident about some of these new routines to keep myself and others safe. And so those same principles apply for this new back to school routine. So really live that decision. Walk through it, pretend it's September 10th today. So what's that gonna look like for you? So as you practice those routines, you'll develop some more confidence in your choice. And as you run through the details as well, that will really reinforce your decision. So we're really primed to want certainty in our lives as humans. Um, However, pandemic times are challenging our flexibility muscles because these times truly are uncertain and things are changing very frequently. So it can be really easy to become overwhelmed when we think of the unknown of the coming weeks, months and years, particularly as we head into a school year that's really unlike any before it. So we really recommend trying to focus on what's immediately ahead in the short term. So what are those steps that you can take in the coming days or weeks? So being aware of your news intake. So for some people, that may mean limiting it, such as only looking at certain news outlets, only tuning in at certain times or not scrolling before bed. Um, for others, that may mean noticing what kind of information you're consuming. So, for example, a friend of mine mentioned that she was watching both local and international news uh, and was really noticing that much of what she was listening to, um, such as hearing about schools reopening in Georgia, wasn't helpful or relevant to her situation and limiting the kind of information and the source of information she was listening to really helped her manage some of her worry. We also know that physical activity is a helpful remedy for anxiety and mood. So whether that's planned exercise before your day begins, if you can get that in, or even just a short walk in between activities can really help us cope better. And lastly, trying to really stay socially connected. So staying close with those in our community can really, really help give us some meaning in this difficult time. So this is an extremely challenging time in many, many ways. Um, And and having some stress or anxiety, those are understandable responses, Um, but there are steps you can take to manage those feelings so connecting with friends and family members by being vulnerable and sharing some of these hard feelings and trusting someone with those feelings so is there someone who you can make a pact with so to speak to check in with each other or to hold each other accountable for taking some steps to be courageous or to try new things Um, and we know that For many of us, sometimes when we get together with friends, um, we can get into a bit of an anxiety spiral about the negative news that we're hearing. So really ensuring that that person you're making this pact with is um, someone who you know and you've spoken about really supporting each other to do those hard things and being mindful of what kinds of things you're talking about and not getting into that anxiety spiral. You also know that deep breathing is really helpful. So taking some long, slow, deep breaths into your diaphragm so that in through your nose and out through your mouth um, is a method that works on both a psychological as well as a neurobiological level by stimulating the vagus nerve. So that works by calming the body, by slowing your heart rate, slowing your, uh, decreasing your blood pressure and relaxing your muscles as well. Um, Write down some of the reasons for sending your child back to school and really connect with those reasons and the values that led to your decision in the first place. And lastly, practice some self-compassion. So we're not always at our best during these times. They're challenging times. So it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to not be at your best with your child all the time.
1: So step three, once you've made a decision, and of course, because this talk is about how to set kids up for a successful return, we're assuming that many of you are making the decision to send your kids back. Once you've made that decision and really practiced living it, the next thing you want to do is really communicate confidence to your child. So what we know is that children's fear and parents' fear are very, very linked. And that's actually a good thing. When we think about mammals in general. We're very attuned to our kids' distress so that we can very quickly be aware if we need to rescue them, to jump in, to save them from something dangerous. And being able to read fear on their faces and have a fear response ourselves helps us react quickly. Similarly, kids take their cues from how we're responding. So if I look frightened, my kids are going to notice that and be a little bit more attuned to is there something going on that I need to pay attention to. And that works very well when there's a threat. Fortunately, not too many tigers in British Columbia, but it primes us to respond quickly. But what can happen in a situation where we're nervous, but we're going ahead with something, is our own fear responses can get cued. So I'll never forget the first time my daughter climbed to the top of one of those play structures at a park. I feel like she was two or three or something like that. And she was so proud of herself. And my heart was just pounding. It was all I could do to not run up and grab her off the thing. I was literally saying to myself, it's Canada, these things must be safe, it's going to be okay. But it primes a fear response. And so we need to be mindful of that, because what we're hoping is that kids can go off to school feeling positively. Another way to think about this is what level of caution do kids need in particular areas? So, this reminds me of two friends of mine. One is very cautious and has a pretty cautious kid. And I remember when her daughter was young, she was taking a few tentative steps, you know, up uh, up a ladder on a slide. And her mom was saying, be careful, Oh, careful, sweetie pie, be careful, be careful. My other friend, true story, has like the most physically able kind of uncautious kid who loves to climb 30 feet up on the outside of a slide. And he's also a pretty chill guy. Um, So what happens is the cautious kids often have cautious parents and the more adventurous kids sometimes have more adventurous parents, but sometimes what we need to do is we need to kind of cross those. So when our kids are being more cautious, we actually need to provide them with more encouragement or if they're being you know, not cautious enough, then yes, we need to give them some cautionary messages. But as we're thinking about school approaching, we really want to think about what does my child need in this moment? And so some things to think about as you're thinking this through would be kids who need more caution would be kids who are kind of impulsive and they're disregarding the safety considerations. Maybe they want to go hug all their friends as they go back to school, or they're not following the good practices around the pandemic. On the other hand, as happened to my kids, by the way, recently, is they were getting kind of nervous. We were outside on a walk and other people were getting, you know, a little bit closer than two meters. And so when kids are starting to show more of that fear reaction or nervous reaction, then they need a little bit more encouragement. I needed to say, I know it was a bit too close, but we're outside and it was just for a second. Other kids as well, we can't assume that kids are only nervous about the pandemic. Some kids might be much more worried just about the social aspect of going to school. So if they're really nervous that their best friend didn't go back in June and they haven't seen them in six months and they're afraid they're not going to have any friends when they go back, again, we need those encouraging messages. And a funny story I thought was a comedian who made a, a pretty good joke about how warnings tend to be calibrated for very reckless children. So to save the lives of reckless children, we have these sort of dire warnings, but that if you're more cautious or sensitive, sometimes kids can take these too literally. So another way to think about this is what are we communicating to our kids? And so one way I like to think about this is my inside voice versus my outside voice. So my inside voice, as my kids are getting ready to go back to school, might be screaming, be careful, wash your hands, you know, stay away from the other kids. As a friend literally told me she was doing in a mall, like don't breathe too much, <laughs> like hold your breath. I don't, that's not a good long-term strategy for coping with a pandemic. We need to breathe, um, you know, or, or I might be thinking maybe we should just stay home today or I'm scared of getting sick. And so those are some of the anxious thoughts we can have as parents, but we need to be thinking about what do we want to be communicating to our kids And so it might be something like this the teachers and doctors have done a good job to make sure that school is safe. Or you might feel a bit nervous at first, but you'll feel so much better after you've gone to school the first day. Or new things are hard, but I know how brave you are. Won't it be exciting to see your friends? Or for kids who are worried about their parents, we might share when I go to the grocery store, I wash my hands and I wear a mask. these things help keep me safe. Of course, another source of anxiety for kids is the endless news that is around us about this pandemic. And so we really, especially as school is approaching, we really need to be mindful of what our kids are being exposed to. If our kids are listening to us have worried conversations with our friends. Did you hear the case update today? You know, getting nervous. And then we tell them it's time to go to school. That's not really fair. We're not setting them up for success. So when you're thinking about how to safely relay information to kids, the first thing would just be, what are they asking about? Some kids may not be asking about the pandemic at all. They might be thinking more about who's going to be in my class, who's my teacher going to be. But if they have questions, of course, the amount we share depends on their age, teens need more information than young kids. We wanna make sure it's reliable and science-based information. And the other thing I would add from an anxiety point of view is, we wanna focus on the things that we do have control over or that we do to keep ourselves safe. Washing our hands, staying away from others, wearing a mask for older kids in situations where they can't distance. Those are all things that reduce our risk of getting sick. And that's, those tend to be the more helpful messages to give kids. Next is really practice those routines in advance. And so, For all of us, if you think of the first time you did anything new, you felt kind of nervous. We got together half an hour before this webinar to practice all the technical stuff to make sure it went well. Um, So doing those things in advance, it really sets kids up for success. And another way to think about this is, a lot of kids are gonna be kind of nervous in September. That's really normal. But if they're also overtired because their bedtime's off track or they're hungry at the wrong times because meals have been thrown off, we're not giving them like the most energy or the, or the most success. So sleep, we got to be honest with ourselves about when are our kids currently waking up? Mine are not waking up quite early enough for school yet. So we look at like, if they're waking up at nine and they need to get up at seven for school. Okay. That's a two hour difference. We got 10 days left. So you want to start to kind of break it down and move bedtime and wake time earlier 15 to 30 minutes a night. And by the way, it's the wake time that's actually more important as we've all had that experience of trying to get our kids to bed early. But if they're waking, if they're sleeping in, it's really hard. Um, The other thing is really try to limit screens one to two hours before bedtime. The light, as we all probably know by now, the light that comes off screens, it interferes with melatonin production and the, the sleepy feelings that kids need. So try to avoid those. Switch up your routine. So they're reading a book or doing something else before bed. Finally, in the daytime, get out of PJs in the morning, get into daytime clothes, start to practice those things that they're going to have to do for school. Even things like having snack time and lunchtime around when it's going to be at school helps to adjust their bodies for school. And finally, get their bodies moving. So physical activity, as we've said already, is so good for everything. Um, It helps with anxiety. It helps with mood. It helps with energy levels. So it doesn't have to be a boring exercise routine for kids, but running around at the park, getting out for a hike, things like that are really helpful. And finally, when we think about those social and practical routines, those can be important to practice as well. So especially for kids who maybe haven't seen their friends much over the summer or even, you know, part of last year, try to schedule some play dates or, you know, for teens, just some hangouts with peers from school, if possible. You can do that outside at a distance. You can still take precautions, but we want kids to kind of refamiliarize themselves with their friends. Younger kids do really well with playing school. So doing some of those, you know, calendar time or circle time or things like that with young kids kind of gets them into that routine. And we want to create some excitement. My kids, they sort of thought it was cool when school shut down at the beginning, but pretty quickly that got really boring. They want to see their friends. And so reminding kids of what they like about school can be really helpful. Finally, the practical stuff is important to do as well. So practice the walk or the drive or the bike ride to school with your kids in advance. If your kid um, has to wear a mask for part of the day or you choose to have your child wear a mask, you want to make sure you practice that a fair bit before school starts. We've probably all had that experience. It feels a little claustrophobic at first. It feels kind of uncomfortable. And then once we've done it a bit, we get more used to it. So we want to, again... Make the unknown known. We want to practice as much of this as we can before school starts. Pack the backpack, get the shoes ready, all that kind of stuff. And so some of you might be listening to this talk and going, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense in theory, but my kid is totally freaked out. Like they won't even go to the school right now. So if you're in that situation, what you want to do is break it down as much as you can. So if your child will not go to the school right now, what you want to do is start by driving or walking halfway. You want to then try walking to the edge of the field, maybe all the way to the front door. Maybe try having a play date or a visit with a friend, not at school, at home or in a park, but then try to have a visit on school grounds to get them more used to it. And these are the kinds of strategies we use over and over again when kids have clinically significant levels of anxiety that they're really phobic of things. And what we know is that there's a few keys that help this go successfully. The first key is stay in the situation until your child's anxiety is lower. If we let them escape when they're sort of most freaked out, that doesn't help them and help their bodies learn that it's okay. The next thing is rewards are critical. I was hearing a story of a friend the other day whose little, tiny little one didn't want to go to school last year and she just gave her stickers and it's like, that's all she needed. Um, so younger kids often, you know, go for an ice cream after. Or you get a sticker or a lollipop. Um, teens enjoy privileges, right? Extra screen time or some money, um, things like that. And finally, praise your child or teen for being brave. And for teens, of course, we have to do this I mean, with all kids, we have to do this in a genuine way, but with teens, we really wanna acknowledge, I know it's a lot and this is hard and I'm really proud of you for going for that walk with me. Um, It's gonna make it easier when school starts. And remember success breeds success. So the more we do this, the easier it gets.
2: So some of you might be wondering, What do I do if this just really doesn't work and my child is pushing back or even refusing to go to school outright? Um, So before discussing what you can do, it's important to talk a little bit about what anxiety is um, and how it impacts kids. So anxiety is a normal and adaptive human emotion and a certain amount of anxiety is helpful. So For example, for me, feeling a little bit of anxiety about this presentation motivated me to practice it over the weekend. Um, Sometimes anxiety, though, can be experienced as really uncomfortable physical symptoms like stomach aches or headaches or increased heart rate or breathing or worry thoughts that indicate to us something bad is going to happen and I need to avoid that thing. And while that experience of anxiety can be really uncomfortable, it's not harmful. So avoidance or eliminating anxiety is not what we want. It's not realistic. Um, What we do want is learning to cope with or face our fears or anxiety. So we know that anxiety comes down on its own when we face those hard things. So, What does that look like in practice? So, If you ask your child to do something they are worried about, um, their anxiety will initially increase, which of course is hard to see as a parent. However, at its peak, our bodies really cannot sustain that high level of anxiety for long and the anxiety will quickly come down on its own as your child stays in that situation. Um, however, let's say that your child, for example, is worried and is nagging you and negotiating about going to school on the morning of. So their anxiety is really increasing in that moment. And then you say, okay, fine. You don't have to go today, but you have to go tomorrow. So you see in that orange curve, they experience that immediate sense of relief and decrease in their anxiety, but without, for that, without that learning opportunity for them to to see that their anxiety comes down on its own and for them to have the opportunity to face that thing that they're afraid of. So the second time that that child who faced their fear is put in an anxiety provoking situation, their anxiety is gonna be a little bit less than the time before, and will similarly go down on its own. And after many repeated practices or exposures, as we call them, the anxiety will continue to decrease on its own until it's manageable and may no longer even be a concern at all. Um, However, for that child who avoided facing their fear, so the orange curve, such as a child whose well-meaning parent allowed them to stay home that first day, they'll experience even more anxiety the next time they're asked to face their fear and go to school. And they'll be even more hard-pressed to get to school. So this just really illustrates that premise um, behind research supporting effective ways to face our fears and just really underlines that we're never seeking to get rid of anxiety, um, even in professional treatment. Rather, what we're doing is seeking to cope with it. So we, want, we don't wanna get rid of the anxiety. What we wanna get rid of or treat is the avoidance of the anxiety. So how does this apply to school attendance? Um, we know that many parents and children alike will be feeling nervous about the return to school this year uh, more than in any school year yet. Uh, But there is a lot that you can do as parents in advance and in those initial days and weeks to help by taking some of the unfamiliar and making it familiar. So each time your child practices something in preparation for school, their confidence and their chance of success will increase. And similarly, each day of school they attend, most kids will feel more and more comfortable. So really the goal is to do everything we can do to get them there and for them to stay there if that's the decision you've made because this will really prevent problems down the road. So it's a non-negotiable like having your child wear their seatbelt in the car. Okay, so we've talked about all of the good things that you can do to prepare, um, but now say it's go time. It's the first day of school. So firstly, really communicate that confidence in your decision that you've already been practicing. Also, plan ahead. Things like having lunches and backpacks ready the night before and give yourself a little bit of wiggle room the morning off, um, the morning of by starting that routine a little bit earlier. So this just provides you the opportunity to have that bandwidth to deal with challenges if they do come up. And we know that worries may come up for you or for your child Um, and try to remember what Dr. Catchpole was talking about earlier in terms of your inside versus outside voice and that having worries is really normal. Um, That said, try not to get roped into lengthy conversations about worries your child is having on the morning of. So these conversations actually just tend to ramp up anxiety. Um, Instead, you can try something like redirecting, such as asking about something else or reminding them of something they're excited about and not giving attention to minor behaviors like whining or reassurance seeking or repetitive questions. So if you've tried all of these steps and strategies to no avail, um, that's not a failure on your part. But uh, it really, it does indicate that additional support may be needed. So reach out to your child's school to let them know what's going on. Okay, see if your child can walk or be driven by a neighbor or a friend You'd be surprised how many times this is the most effective strategy to help kids in the morning get to school, kids or teens, to get to school. If other challenges persist, uh, or there's other mental health challenges as well, and they're just really not able to get to school, reach out to your local child and youth mental health team um, or a private therapist for support. So we know that uh, when making a a plan, successful school coordination is oftentimes one of the most effective strategies to manage school avoidance. So this might involve speaking with other school staff, developing a a realistic plan and steps, which we'll talk about, and staying consistent between home and school in regard to those expectations um, that you have for your child each day. Um, But regardless, if your child is at home during the school day and is not enrolled in a home or remote schooling program, make sure there are no fun or engaging elements of being at home. So in our experience, um, Many times a child is refusing to go to school, there is something rewarding about being at home. That could be access to screens during the day, that could be special treats or lunches, or sometimes it's even just extra attention or one-on-one time uh, with a caregiver that's really inadvertently reinforcing that pattern and that desire to stay home. So if you anticipate that return to school may be challenging for your child, or if school attendance has been a challenge in the past, uh, develop a plan with incremental baby steps before school even begins, if possible. So as an example here, and as we've talked about, you may walk to or visit the school grounds before the first day or visit the surrounding areas of the school. And when school has started as well, if your child is refusing to attend or again, if you just anticipate there being problems, develop some realistic steps um, in consultation with the school, if possible, once school is in about what that return to school plan is going to look like. Um, So typically from kind of a facing your fears, anxiety perspective, we'd really want a child to be spending roughly uh, a few days or a few times on each step before proceeding to the next. Um, What we don't want to see is a child who's stuck on one step for many weeks or months. Um, We know that rewards and praise, as we've talked a little bit about, are an essential element of reinforcing school return if your child is, is refusing having a hard time. So these are just gonna make that experience more rewarding and more motivating for them. So this may mean immediate rewards, such as stickers or treats or extra screen time or privileges, as Dr. Cashwell mentioned earlier, or this could be earning tokens towards a larger reward, such as a special activity or a privilege. So your messaging as parents when your child pushes back about going back to school is just as important now than ever. Um, And you might want to think in advance about how you want to respond uh, if your child gets nervous. So kind of having that plan B in your back pocket. So oftentimes there is a tendency to try to highlight your child's past abilities or intentions, and this can be inadvertently received by your your child or teen as a criticism or as additional pressure. So instead of highlighting what they used to be able to do or allowing them to avoid by saying things like, oh, you were so excited about going back to school before, or it's not a big deal, it's just school, or it's okay, you can stay home today, but you have to go tomorrow. Try saying something like, Thanks for telling me how you're that you're feeling scared about going back to school. It's been a lot. Let's talk about some of the things that we can do to help you feel more confident and really starting that conversation. So we know that oftentimes, tr- really, truly listening and validating feelings is a really incredibly empowering strategy to help kids and adults alike uh, feel more supported and feel confident when we're facing a challenge or something new.
1: So in conclusion, it's certainly a crazy year. (laughs) But there are really concrete things we can do to make things better for ourselves and for our kids. And in particular, work on focusing on what is still in your control and in your child's control, rather than focusing on all the things that are unknown or out of our control right now. The second point is really that your confidence is a key part of this equation. So developing and practicing that confidence in advance will be really helpful. The third point is there's actually a lot you can do even before school starts to help your child prepare and get ready for school return. Next, expect some anxiety. It's going to be there. And if you're ready for it, for your own anxiety and your child's, it's it's not going to throw you off as much. Please reach out for help if you need it. It's not a sign of failure or weakness to need some help ever, frankly, but especially right now. And I really, really believe, especially in these times, we're strongest together. The fact that there was a lot of interest in this webinar means we're all in the same boat here. I've yet to meet anyone who's not at least a little bit nervous about September. Um, and, And working together and supporting each other can help us all do better in these difficult times. You know, and finally, remember, kids can still learn and grow, even in the midst of a pandemic. And so we wanted to just leave you with the words of the good Dr. Bonnie Henry here. Um, Be kind. And in this context, we want to think about being kind to ourselves as parents, to our kids' teachers who are also having to face a lot of anxiety right now, and to our own kids who are nervous and out of practice at being in school. Secondly, be calm. So let's show our confidence to our kids and avoid getting into showing them that anxiety spiral. It will help things go more smoothly. Be safe. So do continue to follow the public health recommendations, keeping our bubbles small, having safe social visits, so that we can all do our parts to try to keep this virus at as low level as we can. And I hope Dr. Henry doesn't mind, but I took the liberty of adding one more because I think it's really important, which is be brave. This is hard, undoubtedly, but with good practice and confidence and support, it really does get easier. So we'll just leave you with a few resources if you're feeling like you would like some more help or thoughts. Uh, um, Of course, the Kelty Mental Health Centre is a great resource with a great website, um, a bunch of information about anxiety and school attendance. Similarly, Anxiety Canada, which used to be Anxiety BC, also has specific information about school refusal as well as other kinds of anxiety for kids and for parents. Um, And if you're wanting a really deep dive into supporting kids with anxiety, um, there's a nice book called Treating Childhood and Adolescent Anxiety, A Guide for Caregivers, um, which you can buy on various places, but also is available um, from the BC Children's uh, Hospital Lending Library for free. So with that, uh, we'll pause and take time for questions. Well, thank you so much,
0: Dr. Catchpole and Dr. Anderson. There was so much practical information in that presentation. I know I learned a lot as a parent of elementary school kids, and I'm sure that our attendees have lots of questions. So again, if you do have questions for the speakers, please um, submit them using the Q&A icon. And if you have more technical questions or about where you can find the recording or comments, please use the the chat function for that. Uh, So I'm going to open up the Q&A now. And if you see a question from someone else that you also would like to ask, you can uh, hit the little thumbs up button and that will uh, vote for it to be answered uh, and move it up to the top of the list. Uh, As I encourage you to use that function as well. Okay. So, uh the first question is um how would you manage a teen who is willingly uh who is willing to go to school but then skips classes?
1: Yeah. So um, I could start and then Dr. Anderson may have some things to add. So I think, you know, with teens in particular, we wanna be having those honest conversations with them and recognizing that, you know, we don't have as much control as we do when they're little, they have some autonomy at that age. But I think the honest conversation around, hey, what's going on in those classes? You know, first of all, good job getting to school, but I've noticed, you know, you're skipping biology quite a bit lately let's talk about that you know and it might be that it's the learning is challenging it might be that there's a challenging social dynamic in the class it might be that it's a difficult fit with a teacher but I think getting you know getting an understanding of what some of those underlying reasons might be can be really helpful because if it's a learning issue they might need some more support Um, if it's a bad fit with a teacher it might be that you can talk to the school counselor and maybe make a bit of a shift Um, or if there's a challenging social situation again the school may be able to help with that. Um, And I think the other piece is then really just communicating the expectations about you know what what is a non-negotiable and what's a negotiable um and if it is that it's maybe a class switch would help and you're okay with that as a family then great um and if not then talking about why it's important to go and creating a bit of an accountability plan around um certainly one of my kids is in high school and I get you know I get the phone call or the email if um if he's missed something um and so just saying look you know the, the, the deal in, the, in our house is that we have to go to all the classes. And so if I get an email that you've missed class, you know, you're going to lose your phone the next day or something like that. Um, but Dr. Anderson, anything to add?
2: Yeah, no, those are great points. Um, I think too, just uh, when you're having that initial conversation, asking about what is it that they're doing during that time? Um, when they're not in class. So um, are they, you know, having a panic attack? They're really anxious. You know, they're in some other place in the school. Are they, you know, going to 7-Eleven with their friends? That will really help um, indicate what are those next steps, um, and what's a bit of a a plan to move forward, and then kind of going back to those principles we talked about earlier, developing those realistic steps, seeing what's manageable for them at this point, how much school are they attending, and really working in those incremental baby steps from there.
0: Great, thank you. Okay, so our next question is uh, from a parent who says, my 12-year-old son starts Oh, hold on one second. The question moved around me. Okay, my twelve year old my twelve year old son starts with his anxiety right from when he wakes up. So, tummy aches, headaches. I manage to get him out the door, but once at school, he refuses to get out of, out of the vehicle, and I can't physically pull him out. He has a full on panic attack. I don't want to give in and allow him to avoid. But what do I do once this happens?
1: Do you want to start, or
2: you go ahead and I'll add. <laughs>
1: Um, so this is one of those situations I think we're reaching out for help is sometimes the most powerful thing you can do. I was practicing this talk last night and my kids were listening. And other than my daughter saying it was a bit boring, so I'm sorry if you found it boring. <laughs> the thing they reacted to the most was, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea to have someone else drive the kids to school. You know, and my daughter goes, because, yeah, you'd be better behaved for the other parent. And my son goes, and you'd be too embarrassed of a tantrum in front of another parent. So sometimes kind of redoing those routines so that there's another person involved in the drop-off. Again, not always, but can sometimes be helpful. Another thing that can be really helpful is reaching out to school and finding out, is there someone who could come out and help? get the kid out of the car. Um, I knew one parent who just put the alarm on in the car. I don't know that I'd use that as a first strategy, but it got the kid out of the car. Um, But, you know, again, kind of reaching out for help that you say, this is it, here we go, we're here. And, you know... Mrs. So-and-so is going to come and and help you get out of the car, trying to keep those transitions really quick. And maybe, again, you have to talk to your child's school about this, but, you know, maybe if there's, you know, can they enter into the resource room or is there sort of like a transition place they could go while their anxiety settles a little bit? Um, And then, of course, all those preventative things, um, you know, can you get them out for a quick walk in the morning or can they walk to school or things like that to just burn off a bit of that, um, that panicky energy um, can be helpful.
2: Yeah, those are all, all great points. And I was thinking as well, um, sort of noticing what you're giving attention to at, at night or in the morning, when your child is is waking up. So if you've had that opportunity, if this is an ongoing issue with stomach aches or headaches, and you've had that opportunity to kind of meet with your child's doctor and just make sure you're ruling out any medical considerations. Um, seeing you know are you giving that behavior attention are you taking their temperature or are you having them you know lay down for a long time um when they're telling you that they're feeling that way and and if so are there little ways that you can tweak that by trying to ignore some of those more minor behaviors um whether that's at night at bedtime or or in the morning when they're waking up as well and just helping redirect them to what snacks would you like you know, eggs or cereal for breakfast, um, instead of engaging in a a lengthy conversation about their physical concerns.
0: Great, thank you. Okay, so the next question is, uh, how much pressure should we put on grades? (sighs)
1: So, (laughs) I guess, I mean, I'm smiling because of course it depends. in general, I would say let's give our kids some kindness here. We want them to get used to the routines and back in school. Um, and, and it sort of depends. Is it, you know, is, is a grade bad because a child is really not putting any effort in and we're concerned about their work ethic and things like that? You know, and then we might want to talk a little bit about why some of these things are important. Um, but if it's, I mean, grades, grades really matter in, grade 11 and 12 for a child who's trying to get into university otherwise they're you know they're 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 not critical and so I think again kind of looking at your own child's picture what's going on what are they struggling with and really looking I mean the other thing too is this is About family values. So, you know, it might be that achievement is a family value of yours, but you probably have some other values like that your child feels good about themselves or is socially connected or things like that. And so kind of keeping those values in balance, um, I, I think is a good way to think about these things
2: yeah and we're hearing from so many educators as well that as we've mentioned they're navigating this alongside us they're feeling stre- stressed and anxious they're building the plane as they fly it so i think that there is going to be you know a longer buffer a much longer probably buffer time this school year as we even just get into that routine of what school's like let alone really getting into the curriculum
0: great Thank you so much. And um, I'm just recognizing the time is 1256. The presenters have kindly offered to stay a few minutes after one o'clock because there are quite a few questions coming through. Um, but just for those of you that do need to leave, I just wanted to um, put up this slide with the Kelthe Center contact information. So please don't hesitate to contact us if we didn't have time to get to your question or you think of questions after the presentation. Our email is up on the slide as well as our toll-free phone number. You can call us from anywhere in BC. Uh, and uh, as a reminder, we'll have of the presentation, uh, the recording, as well as a PDF of the slides up on the team Mental Health Resource Centre website shortly after this presentation, um, and a reminder also to uh, fill out the survey. So uh, a link will pop up after the, uh, this presentation, and we'll also send it out by email, uh, the link to the survey to all of you. Um, so thanks to those of you who need to sign off now because it's almost one. And for those of you that can stay, um, we'll, we will be able to get to a few more questions, if that's okay with you, Dr. catchman And Dr. Anderson. Great okay Uh, so the next question is how can you keep
1: social distancing if a student needs constant assistance from an educational assistant? So I don't know that we're the best people to answer that question. Um, I think really talking with your child's school and specific providers around how that's going to be managed um, is probably a more fruitful Area for conversation, um, you know, and finding out what are if it's an EA, like, are they planning to wear a mask? Kind of what's going on. But I think, yeah, I I think that's probably a better conversation to have with with the school. But have it. I mean, that's that would be my general point about a lot of these things. If you have sort of specific questions, is reach out to the school, get the information. I've heard from both my kids' schools now, and they both acknowledged it's an anxious time. There's more information coming. Like I think there's a lot of awareness that we're all nervous and. yeah. So anyway, I would say talk with school about that.
0: Okay. And there's a few questions that have come through around masks. So what are your suggestions for a child who wears a mask, but whose friends do not or have not, and they want to be together. What can, what can they do or say?
1: Yeah. Do you want me to go,
2: Sarah? I mean, I, I I'll start. And I, I think you know what we know is we can only control um you can only control what your kids are doing in that kind of situation so having those discussions around what they can do to be keeping themselves safe um of course if you had a relationship with that child's parents and a close enough relationship that you were having these conversations and 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 they maybe thought their child was wearing a mask and you knew that they weren't um that might be inappropriate discussion to have, um, but unfortunately, and, and as we know um, from some of the information that's been put out by schools, um, masks aren't uh, mandatory. And so, um, except in some circumstances. And so that's something that is is oftentimes a really personal choice for individual
1: families. Um, yeah. And I guess I would just add, you know, I think this comes back to family values. And if your family value is, you know, we believe it's helpful and our child's going to be doing it or we have some risk factors, then probably practicing with them those conversations. Because, I mean, look, kids can have conflict and sort of difficult social situations to navigate for a whole bunch of reasons. I remember wearing the wrong pants and getting Mm -hmm at school. Um, and so masks are really no different. And so maybe doing a bit of role play around, well, what are you going to say? Let's say, you know, Susie says, why are you wearing that mask? It's silly. We don't have to. What is your child going to say? How are they going to respond? Um, and, you know, maybe having a bit of that prepared around, you know, I'm choosing to wear a mask to help keep everybody safe. And that's what my family's doing. But it's OK that you're not. We, we need to be careful for kids who are real rule followers or let's say your family is very pro mask and you're wearing them a lot. You could see a kid then getting kind of stressed out about other kids who are not. So that's where we sort of need the caution and encouragement. Um, as Dr. Anderson was saying, we can only control what we can control. So kind of prepping for them for what you expect. And the other thing is, the more of us that take that brave step and encourage our kids to wear masks in for kids who are able to and in situations where it feels like it would, you know, it would be helpful, the more that's going to be normalized.
0: Great. Okay, so the next question is, how overwhelmed do you think school counselors will be this year? I'd like to reach out to let them know what my kids' worries are around returning to school so they can get some school-based support, but I don't know if that's appropriate. Yeah. I, I think it
2: really depends and I actually just happened to look in the chat very quickly and saw. Thought- um, someone who's listening, a lovely school counsellor, was saying, we're here to support families and happy to help and advocate. Um, but as she acknowledges too, um, the caseload of different, of, of various school counsellors can be very different. Um, there can be, you know, in a high school a school counsellor that's responsible for hundreds of kids. Um, and, and we know that many of those school counsellors are um, going back September 8th too. And so, Anticipating that there's going to be any availability or bandwidth to kind of plan in advance probably is not uh, realistic um, this year. That said, um, if your child is is having challenges, reaching out to that person and seeing what kind of bandwidth or availability they have is certainly a
1: reasonable first step. Yeah, and the principals are back the week before, and I think giving them a heads up that. concerned your child's really nervous you know you're not sure how it's going to go could they you know could they share that information it doesn't hurt again i think when i'm talking about being kind it's just recognizing that schools do have a lot on their plates but it's okay to ask as long as we ask nicely and are aware that there's a lot going on there's there it's totally fine to ask and in fact schools having a heads up about kids who are maybe going to really struggle in advance is probably more helpful for them than trying to scramble at the last minute with a kid who's having a total meltdown on the field at the, at the new drop-off area or something like that.
0: Great. Okay. So the next question um, is uh, similar to what you were just talking about. So my seven-year-old son won't walk into the school when I drop him off. and uh, June, they lined up outside and the teacher brought them in. He refused to follow me back to the car. The teacher has tried to help him, but it often doesn't help. Um, I usually threaten taking the iPad away if he doesn't stay, and I end up leaving him on the field upset and crying. What can I do?
2: So I would say starting with some of those baby steps, as we've talked about, and um, determining what's realistic for your child that first day. So if even like getting to the lineup, that's a big deal for them, make that a goal in advance. Is that something that you can reward them with in the moment? Like, you know, a, a sticker or a candy or something once they get into line. So you're really positively reinforcing that behavior that you want to see more of and really positively reinforcing them facing their fear, um. As well, I know you mentioned you've tried um, with the teacher having them help them in and and that hasn't helped, but kind of going back to the idea we've talked about earlier, is there you know maybe a friend in their class um, that they could you know meet on the the school field uh, or or walk to school together um, that might help them feel a little bit more motivated and, and positive and and less anxious and scared um, about that entry into school.
1: I would also add um, for some kids, it can be helpful to sort of earn some like bonus iPad time or something like that for being able to have a really brave drop off, which might mean, you know, it's five minutes or less of crying. <laughs> um, and the other thing is some kids with separation anxiety, what happens is you get this kind of panic response at the separation from caregivers, but it's often really quick. And so it it might be that your child is tearful and, and cries and that may happen for a little while, but often if we ask the teachers, like within five, 10 minutes, they're really settled down in school. Um, and so the most important thing is do keep them going. Because if we let them escape in those situations, the anxiety usually just gets worse.
0: Okay, okay so I think we'll do one last question. Uh, so the question is honestly, I'm not sure that teachers in the government will do a good job of making schools safe. How would
1: I be able to say that to our kids? So I don't think it's helpful to say. And again, that's why I've been thinking about this so much. I mean, I'm a psychologist, I treat anxiety, I'm a parent. (laughs) I'm going through this with all of you. And I I think that's why we put the decision-making framework about review the information yourself, talk to your own doctor, look at your ability. If you want, if you prefer to do homeschooling, that's fine. Just look at, do you have the bandwidth to do that? Can you set that up in the long-term in a way that's going to be successful and is going to meet your kids' social and academic needs? And if so, great. But if you're feeling... Like, no, I don't have that. And therefore I'm going to send my kids to school, then you have to live that decision. I don't think being in a halfway place is helpful for anybody. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. It is. We're all having to manage our anxiety. But I think if we're still in that, am I or am I not? Or I maybe I'm going to, but I'm afraid. And so I'm going to try to give my kid all these messages about staying extra like unreasonably careful. I, I don't think it's a good idea for kids. And again, we're not saying which decision to make. I think, you, you know, that's a, that's a personal family decision, but you got to live in one of them. <laughs> um, that'd be my pitch anyway. That's what I'm trying to do as a parent.
0: This has been a special episode of Where You Are, brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre. I'm Michelle Horn, And best of luck to everyone with Return to School this year.